The context for uh, this passage this morning is um, it is the launching of Jesus's public ministry. In a sense, it's his inauguration. It's his baptism. And it happened somewhere in the Jordan River. And his first cousin, John the Baptist, is doing the baptizing. And many people are going out there. And as I've said in a previous sermon, this is not a Christian baptism. It's a Jewish baptism of purification. And in this experience of his baptism, we have this account in Luke's gospel. Now, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. The word of the Lord. I, I envy that story. I, I envy the fact that Jesus heard a voice, perhaps in his prayer life, as you were hearing. Maybe nobody else heard it. He was praying. And for him, the heavens opened. And for him, the Spirit descended upon him. And for him, he heard a voice very clearly that said specific things to him. And I envy that. I've never heard God speak audibly to me. How do you hear the voice of God? Whatever we clergy mean when we say we were called to ministry, most of us do not mean that we heard a voice from heaven like Jesus's that said, Steve, uh, I want you to be a Presbyterian. We don't get that. I actually started out as a United Methodist. And when you're a United Methodist, when you finish seminary or divinity school, the bishop appoints you to your first church. You don't go through a call process. You don't interview with a committee. The bishop calls you on a Saturday morning, and he assigns you to a church. So it came that Saturday morning. I'm in my apartment in Durham, being at Duke Divinity School, the best divinity school in the country. And the call came that Saturday morning. It was Bishop Robert Blackburn. And he was not known to have a sense of humor, which was a problem for me. <laughs> so when I answered the phone, he said, Steve, this is uh, Bishop Blackburn. And I'm calling and giving all the seniors their appointed churches. And I said, oh, oh, good. Where, where will we be going? And he said, I'm sending you to Moyock, North Carolina. Catherine's still upstairs. And I said, honey, apparently I've done something really wrong. 
There's a long story about Moyoc for us, but I had done my internship at Kitty Hawk, where Catherine and I met, and I got to know the people in that region, the Methodists call it districts, uh, we Presbyterian call it presbyteries, and I guess the district superintendent wanted a young seminarian in his district, and he asked for me, and there I was. Moyoc turned out to be a really great experience. Wonderful people. We were young. I was 25 years old, which should be against the law to be a minister at 25. What do you know? But I thought I knew everything. And the people nurtured me and carried us along and loved us. But in my third year, I became restless. I knew I couldn't take a Methodist move about every four years, or they did. And I knew that in another year, I could not take another church somewhere in eastern North Carolina. I had to stay in my conference. And that then another one, and then another one, and then another one. And I just thought, I, I'm not sure that that's what God wants for me to do. But I never heard an audible voice. I never heard God say, go do this, or go do that. So for a year, I talked to people, everybody. I went back to Duke. I talked to professors. I, I talked to my father. I talked to my mother. I talked to my wife. I talked to friends of ours. I talked to other pastors looking for where my next move in ministry might be. And I ended up, through all those conversations, I ended up in Norfolk, Virginia, in a two-year residency program in pastoral psychotherapy. I was training to be a therapist. So we left the Methodist church, I mean, kept my ordination, but I, I went to do this training, and my idea was I was going to be a pastoral counselor and uh, be a Methodist minister, but get out of the system. That was my idea. The pastor of First Presbyterian Church, Norfolk, Shep Russell, who came over and he said, some of you residents, anybody interested in helping me out? I lost my associate for pastoral care, and I just need a part-time interim-type person. Well, we were married and had one or two kids. One. I knew that. What was that child's name? I'll think of it. Well, I needed the money. I was on a stipend. Uh, for a residency program. It was nothing. And I had a, a wife who had a child at home and she wasn't working. And uh, we ended up with another one on the way soon. And, and so I said, I'll, I'll do it. I'm a Methodist though. And he said, that's okay. The other residents are Catholic. You win. <laughs> so I started working with the church and training in the counseling center and doing both jobs and a child at home and a wife and we had an apartment and uh, it was a whole different life. And you think that was the voice of God that called me over to First Church Norfolk or was it just a job and some money? I fell in love with the Presbyterian Church, had been sort of toying with it, a uh, long story, way on back, but now it came to fruition and they extended an invitation for me to transfer my Methodist ordination to the Presbyterian Church. And I had a decision to make. How do you decide to do that when your dad's a Methodist minister? How do you know what to do? And I went and told him I'm going to transfer my ordination to the Presbyterian Church and my dad said, well, Steve, you never really were a good Methodist anyway. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out, was that a compliment? 
I love the Methodist people. They raised me in the faith and uh, Sunday school, and they were so good to my family and my dad for his ministry. But one thing dad did say to me was, you know, you need another pasture to graze in. We're the same people. We're serving the same Lord. You just need a different pasture. What a freeing thing to say to me. Because it was so true, I really was a Presbyterian at heart, the way we do our business like we did today, the way we call our pastors to come to be with us, uh, the way we stay a long time in our pastorates. All of that was me. It was so me. And I've never regretted saying yes to that invitation. I've never regretted being a Presbyterian. Not all these years, not once have I ever thought that was a bad move. I stayed there seven years as associate pastor with Dr. Russell, and I learned a lot from him. And I also worked in the counseling center with Bill Hedrick at Tidewater Pastoral Counseling Center. I had two afternoons a week that I saw clients. And so I continued in both worlds. And then there came that itch. And I thought, it's time for me to go, but I don't know where. And how do you hear the voice of Lord of, the, of God? Like, I envy Jesus, you know. The heavens parted and the voice said, you're my son, I'm very happy with you. I thought, could you just talk to me that way? No, but thanks for asking. <laughs> Dr. Hedrick offered me a position at uh, Virginia Beach to open a, an office in pastoral counseling. And I would be there today had I done that, I suppose. I would have built a caseload. We would have raised our family in Virginia Beach. But I went back to the parish. And we took a call to First Presbyterian Church in Morganton, North Carolina. And I didn't see that coming either. I didn't know that we'd end up back in North Carolina, in Morganton, North Carolina, into First Presbyterian Church. Remember uh, Senator Sam Irving? Who uh, Irvin, who uh, prosecuted Richard Nixon um, and all that back in the Watergate? Well, this was his family church, his church, and he had passed away, but they were all there, and they were wonderful, wonderful people. And there I was back in the pulpit with all my therapy skills. I thought I was going that way, but I ended up going that way, and I didn't see it coming, and it turned out wonderful. Nine years later. Yeah, you, you guessed it. <laughs> I got that itch. And I felt like it was time to go, but I didn't know where. And we took a call to the Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church in Mount Pleasant or Charleston, South Carolina. It's funny because I drove through South Carolina one time on my way to... I guess I shouldn't say this since I'm online, but I'll go ahead. I'm an interim, so what difference does it make? <laughs> I drove through South Carolina on my way to Disney World, and and the kids were asleep, and you're in that boring part of the I-95, you know, that just stretches on forever and ever. And I turned to my wife, and I said, I would never live in the state of South Carolina. (laughs) And it's like there's a little man up up there that says, did you hear that, Lord? He said, he said, never. (laughs) Well, Charleston's not a bad place to live if you've got to go to South Carolina. And I actually thought I was going to retire there. I even said that to those people. I'm done. This is it. This is great. 
But when we went to look at Mount Pleasant, it was a little cracker box of a church with a dirt parking lot. And it, and I, I looked at my wife. I thought, what is this? I mean, how could God be calling us to this? And it was a 1,400-member church that grew to 3,000 members in five years. I didn't see it coming. I didn't see that. And how did I hear the voice of the Lord that time? I asked everybody I knew. I prayed. I listened. I never heard an audible voice. And I sure didn't see this coming. Myers Park. One of my associates came to me after church one Sunday and said, you had a search committee in the church today. And I said, not me. Nobody's called me. It's not for me. It's for one of you. And he said, no, it's for you. How do you know that? I was an intern at Myers Park. It's their senior pastor search committee, and they're here for you. I'd only been there four years, and I said, no, uh uh-uh. Chairman called and said, would you meet with us? And I said, no, as much as I, you know, that's the biggest church in my home state. I would love to go back. But I've only been here four years, and I felt called here, and I've got to stay and finish this second capital campaign. No. I won't meet with you. Okay? A year later, he called me back. Steve, this is Bob Mason. How'd your capital campaign go? I said, you don't care about my capital campaign. He said, no, actually, I don't. (laughs) For three months, we went back and forth. I can't move. I've got a, a daughter who's a rising junior in high school. She'll die. I've got a wife who's a professor at the Citadel with a wonderful job and position. I've been here five years. We've raised all this money. We've built all these buildings. These people are looking to me as their leader. I can't go. Three months of this. It was awful. And I kept listening for the voice of the Lord. They finally came one night, met with us, and handed me the envelope. I knew what was in it. It was a salary package. I wouldn't look at it because I thought if I look at that, it's going to taint my decision. Played golf the next day with a lawyer friend of mine from Morganton. Told him the story, and he said uh, his name was Sam Acock. He said, Steve, what criteria will you use to make this decision? That's a good lawyer question. And I said, Sam, I have no idea. I mean, it can't be about the money. It can't be about, you know, going back to my home state. I mean, that's not how God works. How am I going to hear the voice of God? Three or four holes later, Sam said, uh, strikes me you would go to the place where you can do the most good. It's like somebody rang a bell. I knew right then that Catherine and I and our family and my junior and high school daughter, we were going to be moving to Charlotte. I knew it right then. Sam died recently, too young, of a brain tumor. And I was able to share with him before he died how much it meant to me that I heard the voice of the Lord through a lawyer on a golf course. I said, I didn't even know God went to golf courses. And I didn't make any lawyer jokes. How do you know? How do you know? I'd love to hear your story. How do you know when God is speaking to you or when it's just a good idea or something you want to do or something you make up? 
We had 13 wonderful years at Myers Park. And that church grew and and I grew, frankly, I grew up there. And then came that itch. What am I going to do now? I'm 61 years old, and why don't I just ride it out to retirement, I thought. You know, if I could just ride, why not? I got it made here. I had the keys to the kingdom. And all I got to do is ride it out till I'm 65 or 66. And my wife said, Steve, you have never ridden out anything ever in your life. And if you stay here, you'll die if you don't make the right move. So again, I went looking, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Where is the voice of the Lord? And I ended up a consultant with a group out of Atlanta, but I lived in Brevard. And for nine months, I flew around the country and I worked with clergy of many denominations because clergy burnout's a big deal. And I thought, great way to use my last five, six, seven, eight years. Nine months later, I was here. I didn't see you coming. I didn't plan on you. I mean, I thought I knew what I was doing when I tried to leave the church to go into pastoral counseling and I got yanked back in. Then I left trying to be a consultant. I got yanked back in. Now I get it. I can't leave. (laughs) Jim Ferguson and I had been on the board together at Union Seminary. He calls, do you know any interims? No, I'll check around for you. A couple of weeks later, I called back and I said, what about me? I knew the consulting work. I knew I needed to be preaching. I knew I needed to be back in a church. So you were the voice. You were the voice of God for us. That called us back to do something I absolutely love doing. I've agonized over every decision I've ever made to leave a church or stay at a church, and none of it's been easy. And if a young person today said to me, Dr. Eason, um, I'm in the ministry, how do you know you're hearing God's voice? I'd say, look, the first thing is you got to want to hear it. You got to want to hear it more than you want to eat. You got to listen for it in every single person and thing that you encounter. Even a waitress at a restaurant could ask you the right question or say the right thing or something in a book or something in a dream or something in a conversation. But you want to be listening for the voice of God everywhere all the time. Don't ever stop listening to it and for it. And then you wait and you listen and you wait and you listen and you wait and you almost give up, frankly, to tell you the truth. And it's very frustrating. And you think, why can't you speak audibly to us? Feeble as we are, we can't figure you out. And then I learned that you hear that voice through somebody or something At the exact moment you need to hear it and not one moment before. You will hear it. That is a rule. And even then you'll struggle a little bit. Was that God or was that me? Was that my dad's voice or was that my friend's voice or was that Dr. Russell's voice or was it Dr. Hedrick's voice? Whose voice is speaking to us? And then you pray this prayer. 
Close the doors, Lord, if I'm going in the wrong direction. And open them if I'm not. And if I mess it up, will you fix it? Amen. That's what I've prayed. 38 years of ministry. Open the doors if I'm heading in the right way. Close them if I'm not. And fix it if I mess it up. But this is the best I can do. Now this church has a search committee. Looking for the next senior pastor of this church. Nine people have to listen for this voice. It's not easy. Is it this one? Is it that one? And then all those people out there that will enter our vortex and be a part of our search, they're going to have to listen. Should I go to Richmond or should I stay? And they'll not hear an audible voice either, more than likely. The way I figure it, Jesus himself needed to hear this voice and that's why he heard it. We need to hear it even more than he did. Our committee needs to hear it. You need to hear it. I need to hear it. Not just in ministry. Hearing God's voice is not just something for preachers. It's for doctors and teachers and homemakers and bankers and business people. It's for all of God's people to struggle to hear this claim of God upon our lives. It's messy and it's wonderful. Lord, we dare to ask that you help us to hear your voice. And then would you give us the strength and the courage to do your will and to bring glory and honor to your name. For we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Amen.